Hello and welcome back to Warrior Walker. We're so glad you joined us today. We hope that you're safe and that your loved ones are safe. And if you're not, or if they're not, please do not hesitate to contact the National Center for Domestic Violent Hot Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Well, how are you today, my friends? Today's topic is support networks and building a support network. Because one of the most important things you can do after or once you have finally realized and acknowledged, hey, I'm actually being abused. Because for some of us, that takes a minute. <laughs> it takes a while. Um, because we've been so brainwashed and so used to being scapegoated um, and treated like everything's always our fault and gaslighted and told that what other people or what our abusers or our narcissists are doing wrong or incorrectly or abusively to us is our own darn fault, which obviously it's not. That's a lie from the enemy and straight from the pit of hell um, because Jesus never talks to us that way. God never talks to us that way. The only person God ever spoke to that way, according to the Holy Word of God, according to the Bible, was the Pharisees, whom he said, you brood of vipers. That's some pretty harsh words right there. But uh, those were Jesus wasn't even that mean to Judas Iscariot, the man who betrayed him with a kiss. To my knowledge, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where he's that mean to Judas. But boy, he called those Pharisees out directly for their hypocrisy as well. He should. Um, so that in that Jesus shows us his heart. He shows us God's heart, God, the father's heart, his father's heart, our father's heart. But other than that, he never, you know, that's a message of condemnation and a message of condemnation never, ever comes from God. It always comes from the devil. It always comes from the evil one. The Bible says that Satan, the devil, our enemy, those are all words for him, is the father of lies. He is a liar and he tries to discourage us. He tries to deceive us. He tries to tell us lies about ourselves and others, but especially about ourselves. And we, in our human fallen sinful nature, unfortunately have a tendency to believe him. But the truth is, we are God's masterpieces. We are God's works of artmanship. And God does not make mistakes. And so, um, once we admit that we are being abused and we don't deserve to be treated this way and we start coming out of, so to speak, coming out of all the, um, I don't know, defeatist thoughts, negative thoughts, um, self-harming and, and uh, self-doubting thoughts. No, none of us is perfect, but we tend to take that to an extreme, especially as abuse victims. And once we've finally admitted, and we don't, if you're like me and more of an empath, more empathetic to other people, which is typically from my research, what most narcissists look for in a partner because they can manipulate them more easily and take advantage of them more easily because we have this soft side. Um, because I don't know about you, but I can feel people's pain. Um, I can literally 
and I believe it's a gift of God, but sometimes it can feel like a, it can be a curse too. But I can literally be walking by someone. It doesn't even have to be someone I know. It's a much stronger, more pronounced, much more pronounced feeling if I know the person. But I can literally be walking by someone, even a stranger, and suddenly feel kind of like a whoosh, but not physical. I just, I, I don't know how to explain it. But I can just feel, maybe it's this presence, um, I can just feel that they're upset or that something's bothering them or that they're sad. And it's happened to me pretty much all my life, most of my life. Like, it's happened off and on all my life. And so, you know, um, once we admit that we're being abused or that we have been being abused, then, just like anyone, it takes admitting is the first step, right? It takes admittance as the first step, acknowledging the fact that we're being abused. And if you're like me, you're embarrassed, even though you shouldn't be and you don't have to be because it's not your fault. Your abuser is and has been making the choice to abuse you. You know, one of the things I hate, and there are very few things I hate, but one of the things I absolutely hate is when people tell an abuse victim or say about them, well, you enabled the abuse. Okay, you know what? Whether that may be true or not, that is called blame shifting. That's blaming the victim for the abuser's choices because an abuser chooses to abuse. Whether consciously or subconsciously, and I believe it's usually consciously, an abuser makes a choice to abuse. The victim never makes a choice to be abused. That behavior is imposed upon them almost always against their free will and against their will. And then the victim has to decide how to react. Now, are there certain behaviors that can encourage or enable abuse? Yes, but that does not mean that it's the victim's fault that the abuser is choosing to abuse them. So that is one of my biggest pet peeves is when people try to blame the victim for what the abuser is doing wrong. Or, and along with that is, why, why did you stay? Or why did you stay so long? Or why are you staying? Or you, 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 you. Stop attacking the victim. We should be asking the abuser, why are you abusing your wife, for example? Or why are you abusing your husband or, or whoever, whoever it is that they're abusing, right? Um, so as most of you know, I was married to an extremely volatile husband for a grand total of 17 years. And I have been divorced from him for over 12 years. And it was not an easy process. Um, not only, and there, this, you can hear more of this story in other podcast episodes that I've shared, but it was not an easy process, not only because of my false beliefs and false teachings in the church mostly and by, you know, um, my being raised in my childhood on both sides of my divorced family had a factor. Um, and not only because of all that, um, you know, just various factors and society has this stigma that, or at least we used to, I think it's getting better, thankfully, but we used to think stupid thoughts. I'll just be blunt. For example, and I've shared this in another podcast episode before, I was 
terribly, horribly judgmental of people when I was younger. I used to think women who got raped were stupid for allowing themselves to get in that position in the first place. Like it's the rape victim's fault they got raped, okay? No means no, period, okay? And um, then it happened to me more than once. And I feel like God used that experience for me to teach me quite quickly, teach me very quickly, actually, that my judgmentalism was not only very wrong and sinful and immoral, but it was the farthest thing from the truth. There are situations and circumstances, and an abuse victim never asks to be abused. So let's get that out of our heads right now. An abuse victim never asks to be abused. An abuse victim never... um desires or wants to be abused. That's not why they stay. And there's another podcast episode called, you know, why they stay or something. Why do we stay or why do they stay? Something to that effect. And and if you're interested in hearing more about that, um, please defer to and refer to that prod, podcast. But um, so I was married for 17 years. I've been divorced for over 12 now. So that's a grand total right now of almost 30 years that I have had experience with uh, marital abuse at the hands of a Christian husband and ha have been studying and researching abuse and also helping women escape abusive husbands, especially ones who claim to be Christian, behind the scene. Um, I used to think that a Christian husband could abuse. Now I question that because if a husband or wife but I'm a woman, so I direct this at husbands, these comments, because I'm a woman. I'm not a man, so, you know, let's get that out of the way right now. Just because I talk about abusive husbands doesn't mean I'm saying only husbands abuse, okay? I, I That's another one of my pet peeves, you know? If you want to talk about abusive women or abusive wives, start your own podcast. That's not what this is about, okay? I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but that is not the topic of this podcast. And there's always someone who gets a little cranky about that. <laughs> so I am not minimizing that whatsoever. But let me tell you what, you're minimizing what I'm saying when you refuse to address abusive husbands, and especially those who claim to be Christians, by saying, well, women abuse too. Yes, you're right, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what this is about. If you want to talk about that, go somewhere else, or start your own podcast, or look for a podcast that talks about that. I'm not, you know, minimizing that at all. That's just as bad. It's just as evil. But that is not where I have experience. So I don't feel qualified to address that. So plus, we're not, I'm not going to allow you to minimize what I'm saying respectfully. And I appreciate the same respect from you because abusive Christian husbands, unfortunately, is a concern and it is an issue. So almost 30 years of experience, and I am actually reading a book by a, a lady named Linda Hill now. Um, it's actually four books in one, a book and a workbook. It's called Recovery from Narcissistic Abuse, Gaslighting, Codependency, and Complex PTSD. Four books in one, workbook and guide to overcome trauma, toxic relationships, anxiety, and improve mental health. And as most of you know, I have also, um, with the wonderful, blessed help and encouragement of um, 
a very dear friend of mine and counselor, um, I have now become a certified mental health coach as well. So I'm reading this book not only for my own kind of therapeutic benefit, but also to help me when I am, um, you know, talking with someone as a mental health coach. And I'm reading this book and, um, you know, usually the Holy Spirit puts a topic on my mind for my podcast episodes just in my mind. It just kind of appears naturally. Or I might read a social media post, like a Facebook post that that stirs something up in my spirit and the Holy Spirit tells me to speak about it or whatever. In this case, it's the book. And it I haven't read the whole chapter yet, but I started reading a chapter in the book called Strengthening the Inner Self. And um, one of the things it talks about is creating your own support group. And I can guarantee you, once you realize and admit and acknowledge that you're being abused by your Christian husband, you're going to need a support group. Um, I'm not saying you can't do it without one, but it's extremely important to have one. And I'll also tell you this. I'll tell you what. The supposed support group you have right now is probably not going to cut it. Let me use myself as an example. Allow me, permit me for just a second here, please. When I finally, after 10 years of keeping my ex-husband's abuse quiet, when I finally sort of came out and started mustering up the courage to actually expose the truth, to actually be vulnerable and authentic, and it was terrifying. I'm not going to lie. I was absolutely terrified. I had, because I had no clue how people were going to react because I knew how I reacted. I told you at the beginning of this podcast episode, I was, um, you know, extremely judgmental and I fully expected other people to be judgmental of me. And I was scared of that because of course I didn't want to be judged. I had already been through enough as I'm sure you have been too, if you've been abused, especially if you've been abused. It's a hard thing. It's a difficult thing. And it's not at all easy to finally admit that you're being abused. I'll tell you what, it sure kills any pride you have in you. And it kills it immediately. You know, which of course is a sin anyway, but we're all human and we all have pride, right? You know, the Bible says pride goes before destruction. And that God does not like a haughty spirit. So, you know, even though the abuse is clearly and obviously bad, God always uses evil for good. God uh, can use evil for good anytime he wants to. I believe that's in Romans 8, 28 and 29, if I'm not mistaken. Sometimes I get my Bible addresses a little off, but it is scripture um, that God takes evil and uses it for good according to his purposes for those of us who love him is basically what that verse says. And the idea is God can take anything, including evil and use it for good. That's the way I interpret that verse. And I don't think my interpretation is wrong. Um, I also believe I don't really subscribe to the phrase. Many Christians, even pastors sometimes use that said that they say you can't, rightly take a scripture out of context. Really? For me, you're putting God in a box when you say that. 
And then they use the verse of, well, if people did that, then they'd say Judas Iscariot hung himself. So I have to go hang himself. I mean, let's give people some credit. They're not that stupid. Okay. Most people are not that stupid, but I personally believe, you know, if God can speak through a stone or a donkey, are we really going to limit his power by saying you can't take a scripture out of context? Also, in 1 Timothy, I believe it is, the Bible itself says that the word is living and active and basically says it's applicable to anything. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the idea, the way I understand it. So let's just get over that right now. You know, I may be wrong, but I, I don't think I am. And if I am, you know, um, I pray that God would reveal that to me. But I've prayed that for years. And so far, it hasn't been revealed to me otherwise. Um, I just don't want to limit God and his power or put him in a box. And I believe that God is omnipotent, which means all powerful. I believe that God is omniscient, which means all knowing. And I believe that God is sovereign, which means God is ultimately in control. God has a plan. God knows what's going to happen. And he sees our future. God sees the big picture, if you will. I am a huge movie buff. I love movies. Love, 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 love movies. And I don't know if you remember a movie from years ago called Bruce Almighty, but I loved that movie. Um, it's been years since I've seen it, but I loved the idea of the movie because it kind of gives us just a glimpse of the possibility of what God's viewpoint of the world could look like. And it's so much bigger than what we can see with our finite eyes and our finite wisdom, which, of course, God promises in the book of James and we see by Solomon's example that if we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. And in the book of James, we're also admonished that we better believe it when we ask for God's for wisdom from God. We better believe that we'll give it to us or we're pretty bad off. OK, we're pretty bad. So. You're definitely going to need a support group. I got off on a little tangent there, but it's all relevant and applicable because what I want you to hear is that God does not want you to be abused. Does it say specifically that those words in the Bible? No, not exactly. But the whole Bible is about how we're supposed to try to live for God and worship God by our lifestyle. It says worship God in spirit and truth, how we're supposed to treat others, how we're supposed to love others unconditionally the way Jesus loved us, right? We're supposed to try to emulate Jesus. And the first way we try to emulate Jesus is by accepting his free gift of salvation. Now, I'm not an evangelist, but I will occasionally put an evangelistic plug like that in there because God has created me to be a teacher and a prophetess. I speak the truth and I try to speak it in love. I speak the truth, meaning I speak the truth of what the Bible says, whether I like it or not. There are things I don't like in the Bible. There are things I wish I didn't have to abide by in the Bible. Not a lot, but they are there. I will not, I do not, and I will not pick and choose what I like and what I don't like in the Bible. So I just want you to understand, it does say that um, in Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. 
And please feel free. And I encourage you to look these verses up. Just don't accept. Don't just accept what I'm saying. In fact, you're responsible. I'm responsible. We're responsible for looking these verses up, not just sitting there and letting someone, you know, speak them to us without us examining for them for ourselves. The Bible also says, test the spirits and any spirit that acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God is from God. And any spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God is not from God. So please don't accept whatever I say, but absolutely look it up for yourself in the Bible. And, you know, if you don't have a Bible, I'm guessing you might be listening to this podcast from some sort of device. You have to be listening to it from some sort of device, either on your phone or on a computer or an iPad or, you know, whatever it is. Um, maybe you're at the library with an earbud or air bud airpod whatever it's called <laughs> my kids make fun of me because i don't say it right but you know what i mean and and whatever device you're on there should be a place where you can um like the holy bible app is free the u version bible app is free um you can look it up on the internet if you're on a computer just do the research for yourself and don't just take my word for it okay Thank you. Thank you for not just taking my word for it. But the message I'm trying to get across to you is God loves you. He has a good plan for your life. As Jeremiah 29, 11 says, he has a hope for your life and a future. God created you for a reason. He created you for a purpose. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry. I got distracted as I'm recording. This is a very much Shakespearean aside. Um, my TV screen like flashes advertisements for Netflix films, etc., that are being broadcast that you can choose from or from which you can choose. And it looks like a man called Otto is already on there. It feels like it just came out in the theaters. But anyway, I heard that was a good movie, so I'll have to watch it later. Anyway, what I want you to know, and I apologize for the distraction, I'm pretty sure I'm ADD or ADHD and never diagnosed because I'm older. My generation, they didn't diagnose that thing when we, those things when we were young. But God, God has a hope and a future for you. And it's definitely not being abused. Being abused is not part of anyone's plan, hope or future for anyone. Does he, did he know it was going to happen? I believe yes, because he knows everything. Is that what he wants to happen to you? I believe no. Okay. Um, because I don't, I believe what Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God wants the best for us. So it's really important to establish a trustworthy support network. And as I started to say earlier, I'll give you an example of myself. I mentioned that you're most definitely not going to use at least most, if not all of the people you consider your support group or support network that you currently have if you're still being abused. Myself as an example, you learn very quickly who your true friends are. Um, I didn't know some of this at the time, and I was very confused. But I found out many years after the fact that the real reason, and, and my friends told me this later, many years later, they came back and apologized to me for not having believed me about the abuse of my ex-husband, which was honestly partially my fault because I, I was so good at hiding stuff for him and me. It wasn't just for him. I was embarrassed and, and it was my pride, my pride too. But I was so used to hiding his abuse 
And I did it so well. I did a, such a good job at it that when I finally came out and confessed the truth about how my ex-husband had been physically, emotionally, mentally, etc., abusing me, my friends did not believe me at all. Not one of them at first believed me. Nobody believed me. And that, that was really, really hard and difficult because even my best friend of 10 years didn't believe me. That was rough. Um, and I lost my best friend because I found out years later from my friends when they apologized to me that my ex-husband, who was my husband at that time, had told them uh, my apologies. I had to pause the podcast because my son was texting me and I will always put family above anything else. So I kind of lost where I was um, at with this. Uh Oh, I know that I was talking about losing my best friend. Um, I found out many years later that my ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, had told everyone that I was exaggerating the abuse, basically accused me of lying. Um, as I've said in previous pod podcasts, especially the one immediately prior to this, not only was I not exaggerating his abuse of me, I was actually minimizing it quite a bit mostly because I was embarrassed by it. It wasn't any more to protect him. Um, before I finally came out about it after 10 years, and he was physically abusing me a minimum of every six months. It was bad for 10 years. So that was a minimum of 20 times of his physically abusing me before I, and that was the minimum. It was more often than that at times. Before I finally came out and said something and I was trying to protect him, but I was also embarrassed. It was both. And, you know, like I said, I had some bad teaching where, you know, I was being taught at church that we're to honor our husbands. And I was also being taught by my husband that I wasn't submissive and I wasn't a good wife. And um, I had been recommended, it had been recommended to me to read The Excellent Wife by Martha Peace. That book is a good book, but it is not for marriages with abuse in it. Um, I'm sorry, it's not. It, it's just not. And I'm not really sorry. I'm saying I'm sorry as, no, you don't get to say that. I'm not apologizing for saying it. Um, but we don't get to say that, you know, the book The Excellent Wife by Martha's Peace is applicable or applicable to abusive marriages. It is absolutely not applicable. In fact, I can tell you from my own experience, it makes it way worse. And the whole enabling concept is magnified with that because it places all the blame for the husband's abuse and all the responsibility for making it better on the victim of the abuse, on the wife who's being abused by the husband. But the wife can't help the husband's choices. He makes those choices with his own free will. And no matter how perfect a wife might finally get to be, which none of us is perfect, so that's a fallible point as well. But no matter how close to perfection she might actually achieve, it's not going to get better. In fact, the abuse is going to get worse of her because he. what happens is the abuser learns that he can get away with pretty much anything and he's never going to have a consequence for his actions. Um, so you need to build this support group and, you know, 
usually almost never can you build a support group out of the people that you're used to relying on for support. Now, God blessed me with um with one person in particular who was extremely wise and saw right through my mask of protecting my ex-husband, my then husband at the time. And she and I are still friends to this day because she was supportive of me. And I was kind of still in denial when she even started supporting me. And um, I was recently blessed with the opportunity to thank her yet again for how much she helped me back then. I don't think she even realizes what an impact she had on me. And it was such a relief that I could, that I knew, I knew deep down that I finally had someone who not only actually believed me, but, um, you know, it was such a relief that I, I, sorry, my son was texting me. Um, it was such a relief. Our schedulers are our total opposite. But it was such a relief that I not only had someone who actually believed me without me having to talk too much about it and saw right through my masks of denial, but someone who was actually concerned for me. And I remember she said to me, she saw right through my baloney, my BS, if you will, excuse the bad word. And she looked at me one day, she was having a pool party and we were sitting by her pool in her backyard and the kids were playing in the pool and we adults were sitting, you know, on her patio in the lawn chairs watching the kids. And she said, Gwenna, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about your safety. And, you know, it was the first time I had ever heard anyone express concern about my safety. And this whole flood of emotions went through me when she made that statement. First of all, it caused me to be forced to recognize the fact that I was actually being abused, which deep down I knew, but I kept doubting myself because of all the brainwashing and all the gaslighting I realize now. But back then I felt so confused and in my mind, I was so mentally confused and emotionally I was confused. But when she say, said that, it gave me a moment of such complete clarity. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was being abused, which then brought in the floodgates of emotions inside of me. And, and I was dealing with all this without being able to articulate it yet because it was all new to me of crashing through my pride. It just came crashing through my pride. And then the feelings of embarrassment came into me. But at the same time, there was this overwhelming sense of relief because, oh my gosh, Somebody finally believes me. Somebody realizes there's something really wrong. Somebody knows I'm actually telling the truth because I always have been, you know, and I was just so grateful to her. And I still am to this day because that's when I started. That was the moment I started realizing, okay, I'm not wrong. I'm being abused. I'm not crazy. I'm being abused. Um, it's not my fault. I'm being abused. The The church is wrong. I'm not supposed to submit to this. Uh, my husband is wrong. He's not abusing me because I'm a bad wife. The church and my husband are wrong. He's not abusing me because I don't submit well enough. <laughs> you, 
you know, and I was actually a very submissive wife. I mean, I have my own personality. The only times when I quote unquote rebelled were when I was being abused. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm no longer going to accept, take or speak blame unto myself for something that was entirely not my fault. It was his choice. My ex-husband was making a choice to abuse me. Period. End of story. Okay. And if you are being abused by your husband, especially if he claims to be a Christian, but even if he's not, then it is not your fault that he is abusing you. It is not because you're not a submissive enough wife. That's a load of hogwash that narcissists and abusers feed us as wives to try to control and manipulate us, to try to get us where they want us to be. They try to make us feel guilty. And remember, guilt is not from God. Condemnation and guilt are not from God. Um, conviction is, but with conviction always comes encouragement. So if you're being accused and there's no encouragement whatsoever, you know that is from the devil himself. And remember, in our husbands are making a choice to abuse us. And also the Bible tells us that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. But greater is Jesus. Greater is he who has overcome this than he who the devil is in the world. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So you need a support network because you're going to need some strength just like I did. And I will tell you, it's not going to be easy. If you're like me, and I hope you're not in this sense, your support network is going to fall apart when you start to stand up for yourself, tell the truth, and try to leave your abusive husband, especially if you're a Christian, which is ironic because it should be the opposite. In my experience, I have found that it is the non-Christians who are the most empathetic and understanding and compassionate. Now, some of them are worse. Like I had one lady say when she finally believed me, well, I wouldn't be stupid enough to stand there and take it as if that has absolutely anything to do at all to do with being abused because abused because obviously it does not. And here comes my passion. <laughs> I get real passionate with this. So I'm not angry. I'm not mad, but I'm very passionate about this subject because abuse is serious. If you've acknowledged that you're being abused, let me tell you something, honey. I didn't believe I was being abused and I certainly didn't believe I was in danger of dying or being murdered. But guess what? I almost was. And I never believed anyone. I kept thinking, oh, he'll change. Because Luke 137 says nothing is impossible with God. And that is true. That is what the Bible says. However, I realized years later when I was praying to God, yes, that's true. But people, my ex-husband in particular, they have their own free will. And I personally do not believe God imposes on that. You know, I think of Joseph. And how he was betrayed so much by his family. And when he was young, he had that dream that someday he'd be a ruler over his own family even. But then what happened? For years and years and years and years, Joseph was under spiritual attack and demonic attack. And Joseph's own brothers threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. They definitely had evil plans for Joseph. 
But God took that evil and redeemed it and gave Joseph a position that was so high, pretty much above all others, so that eventually, you know, God blessed Joseph. But it took years and years. And, you know, what I learned was um, God can take the evil that was meant to harm us, the evil from the powers and principalities, the evil from the enemy who's trying to destroy us, who's trying to discourage us, who's trying to set us off the path of the mission and the purpose that God created us and has for our lives. God can overcome that. God does overcome that and that God do, will overcome that just like he did for Joseph, right? In different ways for different people, for different of us. But for Joseph, he, he blessed him. And for us, he's going to bless us. And the biggest lesson I learned coming out of my own abusive marriage was to trust God. And you know, all my life, including when I was married, people have always been astounded and in awe at my faith in God, which is completely ironic to me because I've always felt like I lack in that area. But people have always told me, oh my gosh, Christians and non-Christians alike, you have so much faith in God. Like I've been told repeatedly most of my life, almost all my life, well, I became a Christian when I was 12 and I'm talking about since then. Um, except for when I was backslidden, of course. They're like, you have so much faith in God. Like, I don't think I've seen anybody with as much faith in God as you have. Well, of course, why wouldn't I have faith in God? He's the one who created me. And he's the one who's always been there for me. Jesus is my best friend. Jesus is literally my best friend. And of course, after him is my son, used to be my grandmother, you know, um, my friend Donna, like, but Jesus is my number one best friend and, and my friend, uh, Dr. Jones, but Jesus is my best, best, best friend in the whole wide world. Why would I blame God for something humans decided to do to me? Like, that just doesn't even make sense. It's completely illogical. It's not God's fault they chose to harm me. It's not God's fault my ex-husband chose to abuse me. It's not God's fault that my parents chose to neglect me. None of that is God's fault. God gives each of us our own free will to make our own choices. He gave me a choice too. What am I going to do with that? Am I going to choose to blame God for all the horrible, mean, evil things people do or don't do or say or don't say to me? No, it's not God's fault. That's where we get it wrong sometimes as people. So we need a support group. And the number one thing for that support group is that they support us in our walk with Christ. The number one thing that people in our new support group, because you're going to have to establish a new support group because who you've had, they've been there for you unless they're like my one friend. Um, her name is Carol who sees through your mask, who sees through your facade of pretending everything's okay when you're being abused. She is the one friend that I have stayed in touch with besides my best friend, Donna. Um, she wasn't, she, she was from a professional. I met her in a professional way, but from my personal life, uh, my friend, Carol, the one who saw through my mask at the poolside years ago, um, she is the only friend I've kept 
intimately in my life for any years. Now, I've forgiven everyone. That doesn't mean I don't hold bitterness against anyone. It's not their fault that they didn't know the truth of what's going on or that they didn't believe me. It would have been nice to have been supported better. But, you know, I've forgiven them. And my best friend, I'm not going to say her name. I know she knows who she is. But my best friend, I can't imagine the guilt she must have felt because she's also an empath even more so than I am, way more so. Um, but several years later, um, bless her heart, she sent me a card apologizing. And Avon, if you guys have ever bought Avon products or know someone who sells them, Avon at the time was having a campaign against domestic violence. And I don't know what happened, but she must have heard, seen, or read something that prompted her to suddenly believe me. Um, because it almost seemed like she was taking my ex-husband's side during the divorce um, and before the divorce, even when I separated from him. And I gave him chance after chance after chance, but I was too embarrassed to tell people back then what was actually going on. Like I told a little bit of it, but the less they believed me, the more scared and shy I was to tell any more of the absolute truth of what was really going on behind our closed doors. And that's also another reason, just kind of an aside here real quickly, that I don't judge anyone because I don't know what their lives are like and what's going on behind their closed doors. And I learned that firsthand myself to not judge others because I'm not walking in their shoes. I'm not living their lives and I don't know what's going on in their homes with their families behind those closed doors. And I remember my ex-husband used to tell me, I told him one time, you know, we should go to counseling. And he said, no, what happens behind our closed doors is private and nobody's business. So if your abusive Christian husband is telling you something like that, it's just another form of them trying to control and manipulate you because what that did was it enabled the abuse to be allowed to continue. It let it continue because I thought I was being a submissive wife and I wasn't. And the church was teaching me that if you're a submissive wife, you quote unquote, honor your husband by not airing his dirty laundry. You don't go around telling people at the church or your friends what he does wrong, because that just means you're trying to make your husband look bad. You know what? baloney. That is hogwash. Hogwash is becoming one of my new favorite words. <laughs> um, you know, and, and there's a lot of gerrymandering that goes on in abusive relationship too. Your abuser is constantly trying to manipulate you. They don't want you telling anyone the truth because that's going to make them look bad. <laughs> my ex-husband, in fact, one time I'm laughing because it's so ironic now he one time told me that I was trying to make him look bad by telling one time when he overheard me, he came downstairs and I was on the phone with a friend actually trying to tell her what was going on in my marriage and what he had done wrong with me. My ex-husband, my manipulative, abusive, supposedly Christian ex-husband gave me a really hard time. He made sure that my friend on the other end of the phone line couldn't hear him, but he made it very clear to me. His facial expression, his body language, whispering to me so they couldn't hear, so she couldn't hear him telling. And then when I hung up, he reamed me over the coals, if you will, gave, ripped me a new one. But he really got on my case and yelled at me because, oh, you're not supposed to tell other people bad things about me, that you're not a submissive wife. Excuse me? You know, and it took me years to finally realize 
oh my God. And it wasn't like I was telling everyone. It was one person in confidence, not in front of a whole group of people. And it made me realize, like, I could have said something like, well, if you hadn't done it, I couldn't have said it, could I? <laughs> Which eventually I did say that. But, you know, abusers, they try to place the blame on the woman, on the victim. It's never the abuser's fault in their mind. And that's actually a narcissistic characteristic also. But we need to create a support network. And again, if you're like me, it's going to be mostly not the people that you're, you have as a supposed support network while you're being abused. Because if they were truly your support network, you would no longer be, be being abused. Secondly, if you're like me, when you're still being abused, you want to protect your friends and family because when you're being abused, you have no idea what your abuser is capable of. And then your next concern and worry when you're starting to actually share what's really going on behind your closed doors and how your supposedly Christian husband is actually abusing you, your next big concern becomes you start to think, oh, I really want to tell my family, but what if he abuses them too? I really want to tell my friends, but what if he abuses them too? Then you start thinking, I don't want to pull my family into the middle of this. I don't want to pull my friends into the middle of this. And then you start becoming protective in your mind and your emotions of your friends and your family, which further limits your support network. So for me personally, when I, it took years, but when I finally started separating and pulling myself away from that trauma bond that was with my ex-husband. And, you know, like I said earlier, you learn real quickly um, who your friends really are. Like I said, I lost my best friend of 10 years. And about seven, eight years later, I think it was about seven years later, she apologized in a letter, I was living in a different city, in a card, excuse me, not a letter, in a card, which was very kind of her, but it took seven years. So you can't wait seven years. You should not, in my opinion, wait seven years for your supposed friends to actually believe you that your husband is abusing you. If he truly is, and mine truly was. I even had a counselor that she tested me, which I believe is not the right way to go about it. Um, she's like, well, why are you saying your husband abuses you? Does he not vacuum for you? I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, I was so angry when she said that because she, a counselor, a Christian counselor who worked at our ch church, she totally minimized it. It took so much courage for me to finally come out and say that. Oh, I was angry at her. And I looked at her and said, what do you mean? I said, no. I'm talking about like real abuse. And I started naming things he had done to me, like slap me in the face on the cheek on my face, like shove me halfway down the stairs. He shoved me. I was standing at the top of the stairs. He shoved me. I fell halfway down the stairs, which by the way, my narcissistic abusive ex-husband tried to blame me for being the idiot standing at the top of the stairs when he shoved me. Excuse me? Not he shouldn't have shoved me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And so this counselor, I was just telling her, so clearly that counselor was off my list. And you know what that counselor, Christian counselor proceeded to do? She proceeded to try to find fault with me. Well, why is your husband treating you this way? What did you do to provoke him? I'm going to tell you, most uh, abuse victims are not provoking an abuser. 
the majority of the time my ex-husband physically abused me, and I can only use myself as an example and what I've researched, but I'll use me for right now. The majority, like I would say a good, probably at least 90 to 90 for, 90 to 95% of the time he abused me physically. I did nothing. He just was in one of his moods, you know, and something I hadn't told people, he was diagnosed with like severe depression and the doctor, like at the beginning of our marriage and the doctor gave him medication, he refused to take it. He never took it. And he just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I kept telling him I wasn't trying to be mean. I was like the nicest thing ever, but I just got sick of how I was treated, being treated by him. But I kept trying to tell him, do you think you might be bipolar or something? Because he would have these extreme high mood moods and then extreme low moods. And the low moods would go on for a really long time. And the cycle of abuse was part of that. I really believe that he could have been helped at least partially by medication, but he absolutely refused to take the depression medication. He absolutely refused to go see a doctor or a, a psychiatrist or anyone about the possibility of him maybe being bipolar. And, you know, people say, oh, well, people just say you must be bipolar. I no, I take it very seriously. I don't think a lot of people are bipolar. I do think he was or is. I don't know anymore. I haven't seen him in years, thankfully. Um, but do you know, ironically, he went and he as a, a, a tool of manipulation, when I separated from him the third and final time, he suddenly contacted me out of the blue while there was a no a restraining order in place and asked me with no notice whatsoever. He called me out of the blue one time. He's like, I'm like, why are you calling me? There's a restraining order because, you know, I picked up the phone and then it's like unknown callers. So I didn't know who it was till I heard his voice. I'm like, why are you calling me? There's a restraining order. Oh, I know. But you know how you always said you thought I was bipolar when we were married and we weren't separated? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I'm at the psychiatrist right now. And he said he can't diagnose me unless you're with me. So can you come here? And I'm like, right now? Like he called me and said, can you come right now? I'm like, uh, no, like I gave him so many chances to do that before I separated from him a third and final time. And he just wasn't willing. So this demonstrated by his actions to me that he was just trying to manipulate me. You know, he expected me to just drop everything. He didn't even ask if I was busy, you know, and just go there. Like I'm like, he's my top priority. Let me get, tell you something, ladies. When are you his top priority? You know, and I wasn't like that back then. You know, it was, I was just coming out of that and I was in shock and couldn't believe that he would ask me something like that. But now that I've been out of that relationship for 12 years and I have a clearer picture of it because I'm not like in it anymore, I'm not directly in it, I'm not emotionally involved in it, I can see that was very typical of him. He did stuff like that to me all the time. So um, you need a support network. Number one, you need people who love you for you and encourage you to have a close relationship with Christ and encourage you in that walk with your with Christ. Number two, those people, they need to support you and not try to blame you or ask why you stay with an abusive husband. Number three, you need 
a church to support you, a church that actually preaches the truth of the Bible, not one that says you have to submit to your husband no matter what. Because no matter what implies abuse, that's not biblical. In fact, the Bible says the exact opposite, which is discussed in other episodes. Number four, it's probably not going to be the support group you have right now. Okay? You're going to have to lose some people. You're going to have to make sacrifices. But believe me, it's worth it in the end because you're going to be a lot healthier. Number five, it might not be your family, especially if you grew up in abuse like me, you know, um, you have to get to a point and, and I'm still working on this after 12 plus years, you have to get to a point where God's love for you matters more than anyone else's. And I'm not going to lie. It can be a lonely road sometime. Sometimes it's really lonely. Um, and, and sometimes I struggle. I have good days. I have bad days. And, you know, I have to keep reminding myself, stay in the word, um, sing worship songs, stay busy with work and school. It's part of why I keep my mind so busy is so that I don't have time to dwell on how horribly people have been to me pretty much my whole life. And I'm not saying that to get, get sympathy. Like, I hate that. I hate when I feel like somebody's pitying me. It's just... <laughs> and that's probably my pride, you know, and I, obviously I still need to work on that. There's a lot we need to work on. And, you know, we're going to be working on ourselves until the day we die. I believe my beloved grandma Walker, I've said this before. She used to say, I'll be learning till the day I die. And there's so much wisdom in that statement, even though she had a stroke. So I don't believe that was totally true for her, but it was so wise. Like, the concept, what she meant was we're always learning. No matter how old or young we are, we're always learning. Now, do we who are older have more experience and more life experience? Yes, absolutely, of course, because we've had more time to live. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that when we're younger, we don't have experiences as well. And they mean just as much, right? So we need to respect each other. That's a little Shakespearean aside also. But you need a support network. You might need um, maybe even a victim's advocate. I don't know. For me, that wasn't really a good thing. But it might be a good thing for you. My victim's advocate had no, no experience as a victim of abuse herself. And she was a lot younger than I was, so she couldn't relate to anything at all I was saying. So for me personally, that wasn't a good experience. What was a good experience for me personally, but it might be for you, but for me personally, what was a good experience was um, a support group for women uh, victims of abuse. It opened my eyes when I started. I physically went to this support group once or twice. And it opened my eyes to, oh my gosh, I am being abused. And it just was another confirmation that I'm not crazy. No matter how much my abusive husband tries to convince me that I'm the problem, that I'm imagining these things, that I'm crazy, it's not the truth. The truth is he is abusing me. I am being abused. And for me, it was to the point where I was no longer safe and I was so much in denial that I actually went back to my ex-husband five months after he strangled me. That was our second separation. 
And then we were abuse-free for three years when he started abusing me again. And that time, um, my boys were sitting on the couch and he was in the dining room and I had walked back into the living room and was standing in front of the boys who were sitting on the couch. And my husband at the time, my ex-husband now, he started walking toward me and dummy me. I'm so naive. I always think people have good intentions because that's how I am. And I thought he was going to apologize for me for having spoken rudely to me a second ago. He came up to me and he shoved me and spat in my face, which I found out later is a class D felony. But he did those things in front of my children. And that was what it took to snap my mind pattern of thinking, not being strangled myself, but oh no, my kids are not going to learn that it's okay to be treated this way or to treat someone this way. They're not going to learn that you can shove someone disrespectfully and spit in their face, you know, and I've been a classroom teacher for over nine years now and I've learned so much, but I will tell you that my students, most of them, I'm pretty sure would be absolutely appalled at hearing that my ex-husband shoved me and spat in my face. Like they're so respectful and it just, it's unheard of. It's completely unacceptable, the disrespect. So you need a support group that's going to support you in that. That's going to say, you know what? It's not okay that your husband strangled you. That's not biblical. God does not want you to submit to that. Not well, you're the wife, you should be more submissive. And if you just pray for your husband and set a good example, no, because it's not the abuse victim's problem. It's the problem of the abuser. They're the one who needs to change and you can't force them to do it. You cannot force an abuse abuser to change just like you can't force an alcoholic to change. They have to first admit there's a problem and nobody wants to do that. Pretty Most people don't want to do that. Some people do. I give them credit because that takes a lot of courage and strength and humbleness, humility, humility. And you can't force an abuser to change. But the victim is not the problem. You need a support group that's going to encourage you. And most importantly, you need a godly biblical counselor who's going to support you in what the Bible actually says and not tell you that you have to submit to an abusive husband. No. Nowhere does Jesus say, do you see Jesus beating a wife into submission anywhere? Do you see Jesus shoving a woman downstairs? No, they probably didn't have stairs, but you know, well, they did. They had the upper room. Do you see Jesus slapping a wife in the face? Do you see Jesus or a woman or a man? He doesn't do that to anyone. This is not acceptable godly behavior and we need to stop excusing it. And you need a support group that will support you and protect your health and your safety physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because you know what, especially if you have kids, they're watching you. And I can tell you, I unfortunately am suffering a horrible effect of not getting out of my abusive marriage sooner. And that is whether it's his fault or mine, I have lost one of my sons. That is the most soul-crushing experience. So please get a support group, get to safety, protect yourself so that you can protect your children. Because when our children see us stand up for ourselves against abuse, then they are empowered because they see us being empowered.
I'm running out of time, so I'm going to stop here. Get your support group. Pray it, pray about it to God. Ask him for help, wisdom, discernment, leadership. Lead you and guide you in making those decisions, in choosing your support group. Thank you for listening. I'm praying for you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers for me. God bless you. And remember, I love you, but way more importantly, Jesus loves you more, and he does not want you being abused.